Thanks for joining us for today's message from our series, Belong. During this series, we're discovering what it means for us as believers to be a part of the family of God. It's one of our greatest privileges and also one of our greatest responsibilities. We're always so encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all around the world through what He's doing right here at Meadowbrook. So if that's you and you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send us an email at godstories at nbcocala.org. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so by giving online. Thanks so much for joining us and prepare your hearts to hear from God. Help me welcome our internet audience, if you would. God bless you guys. Glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. Thank you, Tom. I thought, why is he still playing? I'm trying to teach the people the word of God. And he's... No, thank you. All right. Everybody say belong again. Okay. This, this need, this drive, this desire in us to belong. I want to be accepted. I want to be a part. I don't want to be left out. All of us have that. And it is so strong in us that at times we can end up where what I call it, we belong wrong. And we'll compromise values or whatever, uh, peer pressure. We give in to peer pressure just because we don't want to be left out. And uh, uh, have you all ever done anything dumb because of peer pressure? Okay, it's only four of you in this service, but uh, should have been here earlier, I tell you. So, no, but it's, uh, it's such a strong thing. But I think ultimately, here's why God put it in us. Because the, the highest, um, most fulfilling, ultimate way that this is expressed, belonging, is when we belong to God. When we belong to God. Not just as his creation, but as his children. Because we, we believe on him and we accept him. And when we do that, first, uh, John 1.12 says that he gives us the right, the power, the privilege to become the children of God. So when we're the children of God, he's our father. And then consequently, we're part of the family. Now, I think, I believe, that's why God put this in us in the, in the beginning, in the first place. This drive to want to belong is to drive us to the place that, that we find that only fulfilled when we belong to him and, and his family. Amen. So it's an important thing. There are a lot of metaphors in Scripture for this belonging, um, a flock, kingdom, vine and branches, bride and groom, church being the bride of Christ. And then the one we've looked at in the last few weeks is the body of Christ. And so we're going to continue on looking at a few things of how you and I as believers, we belong to the body of Christ. Look with me in Romans chapter 12. Verse 4 through 6 in the message, and this is a paraphrase. It says, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. How many of you have a human body? Okay. Uh, okay, I ain't playing this with you all morning, okay? Okay. How many of you have a body? Okay. Whether or not it's what you want it to be or what it used to be or whatever, okay? You got it, okay? And we have a body, and we're able to relate to this then. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part, say that's me, gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body, the body of Christ, of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. I love that, the way that's put. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. 
without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. Amen? And and your greatest security and your greatest fulfillment and your greatest contentment realizes I belong to God. I belong to his family. He loves me. Nothing can separate me from that love. And then just to know that he has put within you gifts and callings. You're included in that body. And it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of the body of Christ. Can I get an amen on that this morning? One body, many parts. Many parts, one body, just like in your body. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. We looked at this a little bit last week. It says, make every effort to keep the unity. Everyone say unity. The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We saw last week that this word bond is actually a body word, and it it has to do with a joint tie, a band, a ligament. It's what holds your joints together. We also saw it's what holds your organs in place. How many of you are glad you got some of these? Okay. Otherwise, well, anyway, it would be a mess. Um, But we are to make every effort to keep the unity. Now watch this. The Amplified Bible brings out of and produced by the Spirit. So it's the, the Spirit that makes the unity. The spirit that makes the unity, and we are to make every effort to keep, to guard, to maintain the unity. And we do that in the bond or the bands, the the ligaments, the joint ties of peace. God wants his body, all of his body, to be in unity. He wants us to be at peace. Don't you want your body to be in unity? You want all your parts and systems and everything to, to function together, nothing to be in rebellion? How many of you know if your stomach goes in rebellion, you're not going very far that day, okay? You know, and so we like it when it, when it all works together. We are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so that peace holds us together. Well, Pastor, why are you preaching on this? Are we having a problem with unity? Actually, no. We have a, we have a wonderful unity, a strong unity, a sense of family here. And what we're doing is making every, every effort to guard it and to maintain it. And the more that we can understand the value of, of it, I, obviously, then we're going to make every effort to guard it, recognizing it is made by the Spirit And we are the ones that are to maintain it, to stay at peace and to stay in unity. Amen? Now, if it is important to Jesus, it should be important to us. I'm going to try that one one more time. It's your last warning, okay? If it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Amen. And I think that Jesus concerning the body of Christ, I think he is way less concerned about the bruises, the bumps, the shocks that the body of Christ would take from the outside. He's more concerned, more focused that the body of Christ is healthy from the inside. Because the body of Christ, believers together, individually, corporately together, there will be things from the outside. There'll be the shocks and the hits that come from the outside. And Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. He said, I'll I'll build my church. Nothing's going to take him out. Y'all hear me? He conquered death, hell, the grave. And so nothing will take out his body. But the thing he's concerned about is from the inside, internal, internal, that there would be unity, that there would be peace. This This is very, very important. And when the body is in unity, when the body is at peace, that is when your and think of your body, that is when your body is healthy. That is when your body is functioning the way that it should. 
Now, this is being important to the Lord. Let's look at just a couple of scriptures here. In John chapter 17, Jesus praying his high priestly intercessory prayer. This is Jesus with the Father. And it says that they, and he's, he, this is us, that they all may be one unity here. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one. Now, don't miss this. Why? Why does he want us one? Watch this. That or so that the world may believe that you sent me. I'm going to pause right there just for a moment. When you and I are one, like he and the Father are one, the world will believe that God sent Jesus. I don't think it's another evangelistic crusade or some airtime that we buy or anything else that ultimately is going to do it. I'll tell you what it's going to be is when the body of Christ is healthy and functioning and they're one, like the Father and the Son are one, the world will believe. Let's keep reading here. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one. There it is again, just as we are one. This is super important to the Lord. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. And watch this. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And I just believe that when we get this thing right and we're pushing into it. And as we push into this right, I believe that the world around us will see. they They will believe that God sent Jesus. They will know that Jesus loves them because of what they see happening in his body. Amen. And that's why, that's why. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, Paul says, now I plead with you, and this is strong, this is strong, watch this. Now I plead with you, very strong word in the Greek here, with you brethren, brethren, family, right? By the name, look, he invokes the strong name of the Lord, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, Amen but that you be perfectly joined together. Again, some body words here in the same mind and in the same judgment. Is there more to that? And in the same judgment, okay. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 12. For the human body, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Again, unity. So it is with the body of Christ. Unity, everybody say unity. And so if unity is so important to the Lord, and we already covered this, if it's so important to the Lord, it's important to me. It's important to us. It's important to you. And consequently and predictably then, if unity is so important to the Lord and to his body, then predictably it becomes important to the enemy in a whole different way. Predictably the enemy then wants to target that unity and work against the unity. And 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 8, refers to the, the devil as our adversary. Adversary. Uh, it means that he is our opponent. He's our, literally out of the New Testament Greek, our arch enemy. The two Greek words that go together for this, and it just helps us to see the meaning. It's anti-dikos. Anti. What does that mean? Against, against, it's opposite, anti-dikos. It has to do with the purposes or, or the uh, cause. He's against the cause. It's like Washington. You got some vote this way, and if they vote that way, you got the other group, they're going to what? They're going to vote against it. Why? Because this group voted for it. Y'all do watch the news, right? And then if this group votes for something, this group's going to vote against it. Why? Because they voted for it. You know, and I think they all 
Well, anyway, let's get back to the message here. But predictably, the devil's goal then is to work against unity. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus refers to him as the wolf. And he says that the wolf comes to scatter the sheep. There's another metaphor for belonging. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, now, now follow this. It says, for we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. Everybody say devices. Lest he take advantage of us. Let me kind of rephrase it. If we're not ignorant of his devices, he can't take advantage of us, okay? So it's kind of like watching films for boxing or football or whatever, and you watch your opponent. And so now you know what they're gonna try. You know what they, they always do. You know their plans. And when you understand their devices, so to speak, you're not ignorant of those, then they can't take advantage of you. And so this was important. Now this whole word here, devices, also rendered schemes, it has to do with the mind and thoughts and perception. Everybody say perception, because we're gonna come back to that. It's kind of how you frame and see, see things. Then in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, a familiar verse, it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against all the wiles of the devil. Everybody say wiles. Now, wiles has to do with strategies and scheming. And uh, the Greek word, and I'm not just trying to throw a bunch of Greek on you. I want you to see how this relates, and it's very powerful here. The word there is the word methodia, methodia. And what, what word do you kind of hear out of that? Method. He's got a method. The root of it uh, is the same word that we would get our word odometer from. What is an odometer measure? Miles. Traveling traveling. And when you put this all together with his wiles and with his schemes and devices and strategies, remember we mentioned perception and thoughts and mind? What the devil's trying to do is he's trying to find a way to travel over, a method of traveling over and into your thoughts and perceptions. Now, I do not believe that the devil can read your mind. I don't. Now, some of you think that he can, and that's, it's really not so. I think that you are predictable. I think your whole life you've played show and tell. You know, so he wonders, what, how can I pull on this person? So he, you know, baits you with something, and he knows what you go for and what you don't go for. So sometimes he doesn't have to know what you're thinking. He just watches you. Okay, that's a whole other subject for another time. Stay with me. Are you all with me? So... But I do think that he works and is effective at planting thoughts, of seeding thoughts, gets in through the ear gate, gets in through the eye gate. So I'm not old-fashioned and I'm not a fuddy-duddy to tell you you need to be careful what you're listening to. Amen. And you need to be careful what you're seeing and what you're watching and what you're reading. Oh, that's so old-fashioned religion. You better, you, better, you better listen to me. You'll remember you remember this. You better be careful what you're listening. The lyrics of that, and I know it's got an awesome beat to it, doesn't it? Yeah, but you know what that is? That might be a method. That might be a pathway. That he's just trying to get something seated on the inside of you because here's what he's trying to do. The mind is the battlefield. The mind is the battlefield. Between your ears is where the whole thing's fought, sweetie. And the target, your perceptions. Because as a man thinks... His thoughts. Here, here's what happens with your thoughts. Your thoughts turn into words. And your thoughts turns into actions. 
and you get your thoughts and your words and your actions, they're going to produce something and you're going to have outcomes. And you're going to be living in a situation and wondering, how did I get here? And I promise you, if you can trace it back, some perceptions you had. And sometimes people have a perception. It's gotten framed for them. I'll never amount to anything. I just can't get a job. I just can't keep a job. My relationships always go south. My family's always been poor, dumb, and ugly, or or whatever. (laughs) Just making sure you're here. (laughs) What is that? That's perceptions, perceptions. You know, go back to the book of Genesis and in the garden. And man had fallen now. Satan had come in and found a method, found a scheme, a way. He introduced words to change perception about what God had said. Are y'all following me on this? And now everything transpired and God comes in the garden in the cool of the morning. And he says, Adam, where are you? How many of you know that he knew where Adam was? Okay. But he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said this. Listen to this. The language has completely changed now. He said, I, was a, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. And these next four words are huge. God said this, who told you that? Who told you that? So when you say, I, I can never get ahead or um, I'll never make it or my relationships or my finances or this or that. And I just want to say to you, who told you that? Who told you that? And you got to reframe this, this perception. What did God say? What did he say to you? Instead of the enemy, finding a way, finding a way to get that on the inside. This is why we've got to renew our minds. If that hit even near you, say amen this morning. Amen. Now, I want to take a few moments here and do what we call perception correction. And I'm thinking about doing a whole series on this to kind of blast away some of the things that we have wrongly perceived in our minds. So concerning the body of Christ and us individually, parts of the body, here's some wrong perceptions that we have that I want to correct this. And if this is you, I hope, it, I hope this lands well with you today. Here, here's one of them, first of all. I am not needed. I am not needed. You know, sometimes we feel, and, and this would carry on over into other parts of our life too, but we just feel like when the body of Christ, you know, there's Billy Graham and there's Joel Osteen and I'm just not needed, you know? And then you come into a a church, a larger church like this, and you see all these, I'm not needed. They'll they'll get this done without me. I'm not, I'm not needed. And there's other people that are gifted in evangelism. They're leading people to the Lord and you go, see, I could never do that. I'm just, I'm just not needed. And you would be really, really wrong. And for you to suggest that I'm not needed in the body of Christ would be to say that in the body of Christ, first of all, the word of God is not true. And the second of all, you would suggest that there are unnecessary parts to the body of Christ. Well, I did a little bit of research this week um, on this, thinking about unnecessary body parts. In the human body, there are some that suggest we have some unnecessary body parts. In the body of Christ, that's not true. All the parts are needed and necessary in the body of Christ. So I wanted to look a little bit and just show this to you uh, concerning the body of Christ, or excuse me, the human body and um, unnecessary body parts. So let's start out here. And uh, this, is, this is Da Vinci's drawing. Uh, 
we put some shorts on him for modesty's sake today. This is church, y'all, okay? He does not have four legs. He does not have four arms. Da Vinci was drawing. This is his drawing in his study of body proportions. And so he's, he's putting this all together. And so with that in mind, the human body, we can relate to the body of Christ because we have human body. Do we have any unnecessary body parts? And I want to show you perhaps some that are considered. First of all, uh, go ahead to the, to the next one here. Wisdom teeth. Wisdom teeth. They say that we don't need wisdom teeth. Uh, go ahead to the next one here. Tonsils. How many of you ever had your tonsils taken out? Okay, I did. And they're just right back here. And if they get infected or whatever, then you've got to get those things cut out. I have a whole big story about my tonsils, but we don't have time for it today. Let's go ahead to the next one here. Your tailbone. Your tailbone. And then let's go ahead to the next one here. Your fifth toe. Your fifth toe. Now, I've tried so hard to find pictures of presentable feet. And here's the reality of feet. You either have pretty feet or they are not pretty. Okay. Okay. So they suggest that, you know, this would be unnecessary. It doesn't serve any real purpose. And then we got one more. I hesitate to even show this to you this, this close to lunch, but one more. Go ahead. Uh, body hair, body hair. Okay. Get that out of here. Okay. And I just want to take a moment and thank Pastor Ron. He let us use his x-rays and pictures this morning. So, not really. He's been a sport all morning for that. Listen, uh, look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Y'all still here? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, each part has a special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's this. It's the law of mutual supply. Go ahead. The law of mutual supply, which simply means this. The body needs you, and you need the body. The body needs you, and you need the body. Say, I need the body. body. And the body needs me. And it's that law of mutual supply. So when we say, I'm not needed, That would be wrong. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, in the Amplified, so we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ, the Messiah, and individually we are parts of one another. I love this next part. Mutually dependent on one another. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's that law of mutual supply. Here's another misperception here. I am better than the other parts. Have you ever met that person? I am better than the other parts. And then here's kind of the opposite of that. I'm lesser than the other parts. Uh, Both of these would be wrong. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to read several verses here. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. 
So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Amen. We just saw one of those. So while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. And so all in all, it goes all together here. There's nobody better than anybody else. There's nobody lesser than than anybody else. It is what we would call the divine creative order. Everybody say that with me. Divine creative order, which, which really boils down to this. There is nobody better than, there is nobody lesser than. Nobody better than, nobody lesser than. Now, everywhere we go, there seems to be kind of a, a pecking order sometimes or level of prestige and all of that. And, and, and we really need to be careful of that in our lives, especially as believers. Now, look at me just for a moment. It all has to do with function. It all has to do with the moment and with function. Look at me and get this very clearly. There's no, and let's just, let's just talk about us for a moment. There's nobody here better than anybody else. There's nobody here that's a less than, less than anybody else. Look at me just for a moment. You say, well, Pastor, you're up there. You're talking. They got lights on you. You're on a mic. We're all sitting. The guy. They made all our chairs face you. <laughs> you're standing up there talking, dressed up, got powder on your shiny head. <laughs> but listen to me. All I'm doing, I'm just operating in my gifts and my callings for this little bit of time. I am no, wait, wait, I am no better than any one of you. And I'll go ahead and tell you, no one of you are better than me. Okay? But, but every one of us, every one of us, let me try to illustrate. Let me try to illustrate. Let's imagine this football team and they're going to the championship game. So they all fly in, meet together, spend that hotel. And then they have a good breakfast, and then they load up in the bus. So they're all on the bus. Now, the team's there, the multimillion-dollar celebrity quarterback's there. Celebrity running back is there. Got all these guys. This is the cream of the crop. We're now going to the championship. Got the coach. He's famous. He's got this reputation. Got the water boy, the equipment management guys, whatever. You got, you got all of that, and they're on the bus, and we're headed to the stadium. Let me ask you a question. We're on the bus. We're headed to the stadium. Can you please tell me who right now is the most important? Bus driver. Bus driver. Pull up to the big stadium. They open up the gates. They pull in. The team gets off. People taking pictures. There's nobody taking pictures of the bus driver now. And they get off, and there they are, and they go in, you know, and uh, get into the locker room. Hey, where's our jerseys? Where's my cleats? Where's my pads? Where's my helmet? All that. And, and let me tell you who's most important right now. The equipment manager. Equipment manager. After a while, everybody's dressed and all of that. And now the coach. And he said, guys, let's, let's just remember what we worked on. Let's remember what got us here. And he gives them the pep talk. And he says, now, when we, when we toss the coin, you know, if, if we win the toss, uh, I looked out there and the wind's blowing this way and the sun's that way and blah, blah, blah. And so here's what they typically do first, first half and second half. So that's what we want. And he gives them strategy and a few things. Guess who's important right now? Coach. And then they run out the tunnel and they go out in the field and, you know, play starts and we get going. Now the quarterback's in and he's back and everybody, ah, oh, there he is, you know. And so for the moment, it's him. It's him. And he hands off to the running back, the guy with the ball now, he's most important. 
It gets fumbled, and a guy who never gets the ball gets the ball. Guess what? He is now important. They got to call time out because it's pretty hot. We've been working hard, and we are so thirsty we can't go on one other play. They call time out, and a little guy and a little girl come out with little little cases with little little cups of Gatorade cups, and bring them out. Who's most important now? Huh? Huh? It all has to do with function. Clock is running out. We only got a few seconds left. They're ahead, but we are in field goal range, and we just we just need that kick to get ahead. And so now the slightest guy on the team, the guy who doesn't press 400 pounds like the linebackers, the smallest, least physically fit guy on the team, the kicker, he's ready. And they're about to call him in, and he's on the sideline. He's working. He's got a little little net right there. He's looking up into the stands to see his mom. They put him out on the field. Who's most important now, huh? And when he kicks that thing right through the uprights, tell me who the man is now, all right? All right. Meanwhile, back out at the bus is the guy. He's got his name on his shirt, Gus. Gus's bus. He had to stay with the bus. He didn't even go in and see the big game. You know what? They won, they're coming out, and they get on the bus, and we're going to head back, head back to the hotel or the airport. Who's the man now? Gus. Gus. And you know what? I don't mind being Gus. I don't mind being the water boy. Listen, it's just about being who you're supposed to be. Don't compete with anybody. And when you're on, be on. Use your gifts. Use your talents. But there's nobody better, and there's nobody less in the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to be in the body. Amen. I got it. I got to do one more, one more, and it's this. I can do it on my own. True or false? false. Or on Family Feud, what would they do? There, there you go. Come on. Okay. I can do it on my own. No, you can't. Question, can a body part make it on its own? No. That's the stuff of scary movies. Lone parts. 1 Corinthians 12. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Listen, in the body of Christ, that never happens. And for us to even think for a second that I can do this on my own. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. And in the body of Christ, hear me, you don't isolate yourself. And let me add this on, and you don't isolate others. Well, that part of the body is injured. That part of the body even injured themselves. They're still part of the body of Christ. And you don't isolate yourself and you don't isolate others. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Another metaphor of that belonging. And he says, get this, and apart from me, you can do what? Let's try it one more time. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do Nothing. For us to ever think for a moment, I can do this on my own. I don't need all those people. I don't need all this. I don't need that. I don't need this. You know, you would miss it entirely. And you would fall prey to a wrong perception that the enemy used to get into your mind, to get you off by your side. Because then it's, it, it's easy to mess you up. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, let's, as we see the day approaching, let's not forsake, let's not neglect 
the assembling of ourselves together. And again, to go back into the Greek, that word assembly means the complete collection. God wants to get us all together. You are the body individually. When you wake up in the morning or whenever you spend some time alone with the Lord and you go to your job and you do what you do and you're, you're living your life and serving God, you are the body of Christ individually. But you are also the body of Christ collectively, corporately together. And God wants his body to come together. He likes, he said in the word, I want the complete collection to come together. I like being a part of the collection. And it brings us all together. And when he does this, let me ask you this. How many of you feel a little bit better when you come to church? How many of you, and be honest with me, how many of you know stuff worrying you, plaguing you during the week, but somehow when you get all together in here like this, it just kind of lifts off of you a little bit. How many, okay? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, a lot of reasons for that. And I can't necessarily prove this, but I don't think you can disprove it. But I want to say this, that when we all come together like this, and we worship together and serve and love each other in unity, the devil can't find, seem to find the trees because of the forest. And it's a good thing for us to come together. Amen. Amen. Well, let's wrap this up. Body of Christ, one body, many parts. We're all part of one another. We're mutually dependent upon one another. You are valuable. You're vital. You're needed. Nobody greater than you. Nobody less than you. You're not greater. You're not lesser. There's a divine creative order. There's a law of mutual supply. We need the body and the body needs us. And there's a unity produced by the spirit. He makes it and we keep it. And when all of that happens, the body of Christ is healthy and it's functioning. And I think then the heart cry prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father will take place. Then, then the world will believe that God sent Jesus. And then the world will know that Jesus loves them when we operate together as the body of Christ in unity. Amen? Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this today? All right.